And engineers and scientists are not, not immune from this. Mm-hmm. They're not immune from subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think of subtext. Subtext is this magical feeling that you have, that you see in, a, in any kind of a drama that's playing out, and you hear a couple of people engage in a dialogue. This is what the words are saying, but what, what do they really want? What do they really mean? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're living in a sea of subtext. Mm-hmm. And I, I, ju- I just want to get across the idea that you should stand back sometimes and ask yourself, what am I being bombarded with here? And do I really want this? Do I want to change it? Hello and welcome to Random Walk, a podcast about interesting things that I come across. I'm your host Adam and this week I think we should just get to it. Okay, so maybe can I get you to introduce yourself for the... (laughs) My name's Rachel, I'm a PhD student in Psychology, Neuroscience and Behavior and I study children with concussion using MRI. Excellent, thank you. Um, And you are here with, um, on behalf of WISE and the SciGSA. And can you tell me a little bit about WISE? So WISE is quite an old organization on campus, and it started all the way back in 2006 when a group of females decided that there was a need to sort of just bond together and try to understand um, their place on campus and in science and in engineering. And so currently our group is trying to celebrate and support anyone that's feeling marginalized in science and engineering um, and through mentorship, through conferences and talks and sort of mentoring each other. Um, And we put together monthly events where we can learn from faculty about their stories and how they work their way through academia and ended up where they are now, uh, the lessons they learned and the challenges they overcame. Um, And then once a year we hold a big conference where everyone can sort of talk about their science, whether or not they're in grad school or undergrad, um, and so that we can generate interdisciplinary discussion about science and technology and engineering. That's really nice. Uh, WISE, it stands for something, yes? The Women in Science and Engineering. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. It's a, it's a nice one because not a lot of these acronyms make a lot of sense on their own, but yeah, I like that one. And SCI-GSA is just the, the Graduate Student Association Science Branch, yes. effectively. And do you guys always collaborate on events? or? No, our collaboration sort of only started last year. Um, because I was on both of those, and so I'm now only part of WISE. Um, but Erica, who's the current president of the SciGSA, is a friend of mine, and so we decided that we're going to continue working together. And it's been actually quite nice because we do sort of similar work, um, and it's been actually really profitable so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so, on the topic of sort of outreach to high schools and various things like this, mm-hmm. um, I guess why is not so much, or it's not exactly all inclusivity it's also trying to get the idea of science out to other people and so i think that's maybe um the this month's topic (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah trying to communicate science and try to get people to be interested in what science says and um science literacy so being a little bit more able to understand what the information they're taking in um how to digest it properly and to evaluate what what information they're receiving (laughs) which is why we kind of have John to speak about this topic this month. So we usually have a monthly mentor of the month, but instead of a mentor this month, we have um, a whole like workshop that John's going to help us put together about the communication of science and 
evaluating so, communication. So here's our very special guest, Dr. John Bandler. Do you mind um, sort of introducing yourself for the... Yeah, I'm John Bandler. I'm with the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering. I've already been at McMaster for 50 years, <laughs> so uh, which seems like rather a long time. And um, I'm delighted here, Adam, to, to be interviewed for this particular event. Well, I think this is going to be a really exciting one. This is, um, it seems like science communication in general, a lot more focus is being paid to it. Um, have you sort of been focusing on science communication specifically for a long time now, or...? Well, I wouldn't say a long, well, a long, not a long time in terms of my own uh, time here at McMaster, but certainly in the last uh, eight, nine, ten years, uh, various uh, issues relating to communication uh, dawned on me, and um, uh, as a result, I've looked into and delivered workshops and seminars in a variety of related uh, issues, um, including uh, mentoring and coaching students for the three-minute thesis competition, which of course is largely communication uh, and, and also involves predominantly science and, in, and technology and engineering. Um, but one of the things that I think is being missed here, which is great because I may surprise you a little bit, that's why I'm glad you're here, Rachel, so you won't be too surprised, is I'm looking at communication in its broadest sense. Now, although I first got into it um, in, in, in trying to improve how graduate students do uh, defense presentations, thesis presentations, and delivering papers in general, and this gradually uh, drifted into various other aspects like ethics, awareness, creativity, even entrepreneurship. Um, uh, but I'm looking at communication in the in a general sense. Think of it this way: um, you're in a lab, you're 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 taking measurements. Those those numbers or those measurements are already speaking to you. So the communication already begins at that level. Then you speak to colleagues or supervisors, or you go through it in your brain. Your brain is communicating science. So in terms of Daniel Kahneman's System 1 and System 2, you're doing a lot of hard work getting, collecting all these numbers, but then your System 1 and System 2 in your brain start talking to each other. And what you do is you then take this and you're already reducing that. When you speak to colleagues or your supervisor, you've already condensed that because you can't give the full story. And as soon as you start editing and condensing and changing, you're prone to exaggerate, you're prone to maybe miss certain aspects or you have to skip over certain complexities. So, so really, communication is quite broad and I'm looking at communication not just in terms of let's say encouraging students uh, say high school students to to think of science and engineering which is sort of one way of thinking about it or addressing the general public with scientific facts but when you when you write a proposal for a research grant you're communicating when you chat over a cocktail or a banquet to a colleague at a conference who may or may not be in your field, you're communicating. So where does the science communication really stop? 
I don't think it ever really stops because by definition as human beings we're communicating all the time in every respect and so what I will look at is is communication in its broadest sense. Sorry for the long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that's perfect. But, uh, I wanted to give you the scope of this so that mm. you can, you know, you realize that I'm looking at a fairly wide range of Yeah, issues. that's a, an interesting point that I wouldn't have thought of. Sort of the idea that as soon as you're collecting the data, you're interpreting things. Right. There's communication right from the, the get-go. Right. It's almost like uh, doing any sort of scientific analysis of nature. Yeah. You're kind of paraphrasing what's yeah. What's Na reality? Nature is speaking to you, mm -hmm. and <laughs> is nature telling you the truth, or is nature trying to fool you? Yeah, right? and I mean, feel free to jump in if you want to jump in on anything. It's all right. good so far, John. Okay, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'm I'm mostly um, when I hear science communication, think about it. It's mostly how do I do it most effectively? How do I you know bridge different gaps? Um, but your talk is focusing on, well, the title of it is Ethics of Science Communication. So you, you, start, you sort of briefly mentioned ethics, but may, maybe could you elaborate on... Yeah, ethics. Um, I, think of, I think of ethics in a very broad sense. Um, to me, it's, it's really part of a bigger story. Um, it's... Dealing with it's dealing with how you frame your work, how you present your work, um, how other people receive it, the feedback that you're getting from whoever is receiving that piece of information, and how you correct it or not correct it, uh, and the and I'm also thinking about the slippery slope of when something is let's say misunderstood in a very innocent way and you get the feedback say oh that's an interesting interpretation um it's not quite what i had in mind but let's run with this because it sounds better the other person has reworded perhaps what you're saying and it may be a little bit of a spin and and then you you may find yourself on a slippery slope having to then defend something that you that appears that you've communicated so i'm also thinking about that so i'm thinking about a, an agenda that 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 you have the agenda that the person you're communicating with or the community that you're communicating with have what agenda what are they trying to achieve with your results and just looking at a number of different aspects so it's it's rather complex and i'm really only touching on certain what might appear to be superficial aspects. Yeah, the one bit that I sort of keyed on that I think of most often, I think, is maybe when you're talking to a journalist or uh, try to get your research out to the, the general public through another medium. Very few people in the public are going to be interested in, you know, pure academic research for the reasons that you are, I think. So maybe... Yeah, maybe understanding how people are going to interpret what you are saying and try to sort of reverse engineer yeah, how they exactly, end up. exactly. That's right. And you know what I like, for example, about the three-minute thesis competition is that it really, in my experience, the students that are working towards this work really, really hard. I mean, I'm amazed 
by how many hours uh, they're willing to put into this and writing the script and in just creating that one single slide because that working under that pressure of you only have one slide and you only have three minutes and you have an audience that had better understand everything that you're saying that puts tremendous pressure on on you to really re rethink your how you're doing that presentation it's, it's actually quite tough and and also very rewarding mm. but it's prone to to exaggeration it's prone to oversimplification it's prone to allowing people to think that you've done this rather than that so it's fraught with okay ethical issues have you ever uh, done the three-minute thesis or known anyone? I do, and this is going back to John and my uh, relationship history. So when I uh, was doing my master's in 2015, I started, or it might have been 2016, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> um, 16, I, I think it's 16, yeah. John remembers <laughs> that I do. I met with John because um, I'd seen him coach other students in the Falling Walls Falling Walls competition, yes. that's right. And I thought they were really great speakers, and so I approached John and said, I'm interested in, in doing a three-minute thesis, and I'm also interested in the mentorship aspect that you might have to offer. And so I competed, and John helped me get to a third place at McMaster. Um, and, but it was what was I got more from that experience was actually working with John, so really trying to communicate science and then to think about myself why I chose to do this how I want to portray my story um, and I think grad students um, are always worried about sounding dumb or the questions that people are going to ask them and you know looking like they don't belong here that that whole feeling of like I'm an, I'm an imposter um, and I think that's maybe also where sometimes you might oversell your story or, or try to make it um, that give it more applications than it actually can provide so um, yeah, I, this is how yeah, John, I know John to be a really good speaker about this topic. Okay. Yeah, so, and of course there's great temptation, you know, in the simplification uh, to, to give a false impression, and this may be completely innocent, you know, or it could be unconscious, maybe your unconscious mind is doing this. And in my talk uh, uh, next week, I'll be covering subtext, and I'll, I'll be looking at politics as well. Mm politics, uh, subtext in politics, um, and giving very specific examples from what's going on right now, in, you know, in politics. And of course, politics does merge with science an awful lot. Um, the public doesn't, large segments of the public do not trust scientists, because a lot of science is filtered through politicians. Politicians will twist a story in any which way. They'll they will lie, they will misunderstand, they will they will have an agenda, and you know, often the scientists seem to be almost impotent in 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 being able to correct this. So uh, maybe the scientists are, are not framing the the stories in the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see it being a combination of that and then also being so far removed from the actual speaking box. Like It seems like maybe there's science and then the journalism-ish level and then maybe advisors. And right, exactly. The, and as soon as you have different layers, you know, this, this, this story about if I, if I tell you something and I ask you to tell someone else, by the mm. time that story comes back to me, it's completely changed. <laughs> and that's what happens. And it, it, it's something we can't really avoid because at the source, if we are the the 
the originator of a certain scientific concept, presumably we've used an awful lot of data and an awful lot of time to 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 get those results. But then we have to think about them. We're thinking. We're condensing. We're reframing. I pass it on to you, you get the gist of it, and then you pass the gist of it on to somebody else, and a lot of stuff gets gets lost in all those layers. Mm -hmm. Everybody sort of has their... Their own agenda and spin, own, yeah. absolutely. And if you were a journalist asking me questions, and I, I've been interviewed for videos where I had to condense my life's work into a few seconds, I mean... When you see the result that's been edited and presented, and there are some examples out there on YouTube, I say, that isn't really me. <laughs> but how, how do you stop that? It's, it's a, you know, um, Robert McKee, the screenwriting guru, uh, who's, some of whose lectures I've attended in New York and Los Angeles, because of my interest in screenwriting and, and, and playwriting and so on, I, to get the gist of what he said, I think he said, if you take real life, real life events, as soon as you condense them into a story, into a small story, it's already fiction. You, 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 you may think that you are presenting facts, but by cutting, by editing, by selecting, it, and the more you compress this, the more fictionalized it becomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess as soon as you start curating reality, yeah. then yeah. you're creating a story. That's right. interesting. Right. And actually, through our discussion just now and talking about the three-minute thesis and reading your Wikipedia page a little bit, <laughs> I, uh, I'm starting to see a sort of parallel between screenwriting or script writing and how you, in theory, want to project your science if you're going to be presenting it. It almost seems like you want to start from the audience perspective and just sort of work backwards. And I think a lot of grad students maybe start from their story and try to push it forward maybe that's how a lot of uh... yeah exactly it's a very good analogy I like that analogy it's like a let's say a businessman or woman or person um, who has uh, what wants to conduct business they either create a product which they then try to sell to the consumer or on the other hand they do research to find out what does the consumer want and then they try to deliver what that consumer wants um, bottom line is it has to be, I think it should be an interaction of the two, but um, the more layers you have between the, let's say, the hardcore science and the end user or the, or the person who's, who's at the very end of this communication chain, uh, the more layers you have, the more agendas you have to filter through and so on. Um, you know, and when you have someone who, like say, like Stephen Hawking, who's able to, a, be a, a trusted uh, scientist and b, uh, be able to communicate, you, you you tend to trust these people maybe a little bit more because uh, there are not so many layers. The only layers are in that person's mind. Yeah, that's an interesting. I, maybe there's a a divide based on like, sort of fundamental sciences, like Stephen Hawking and. I was thinking Carl Sagan as well. I think they're trying to, you know, bring the majesty of nature to people, appreciate science for science's sake, while maybe somebody like an Elon Musk who's like big into engineering and application-driven stuff, maybe you trust that a little bit less because there's so clearly 
a reason for all of this and you don't really know the... Exactly, exactly. And, and by the way, in the talk, I will be dealing with fraud and I'll talk about a couple of incidents. I won't say what they are here <laughs> and keep you mystified, but I will, I will uh, mention a few gigantic uh, instances of fraud in which um, at the very core is some kind of science or technology that has somehow been misrepresented to the public mm -hmm. and 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 again you would imagine some in one case there must have been a lot of layers in between mm -hmm. hierarchy in a corporation in the other case it's very much from the kind of core person themselves uh, you know just cases of fraud out, out and out fraud that's interesting um, that you can sort of end up at fraud through reasonable means it's, maybe it starts off very natural and then through interpretation it ends up yeah I'm absolutely and I, I and I suspect that in many cases uh, people get caught up in this uh, fraud it, it's a slip it, there's a reason for calling this a slippery slope because once you start sliding you really have to find places that you can hold on to and if everybody around you if, if there's no one around you in a way to kind of stop you or, or to put the brakes on for you, then you may end up slipping even more. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing like two things. So like you want to avoid that slippery slope where you can find yourself communicating the wrong thing or getting your message reinterpreted in such a way that it is incorrect at the very end of the receiving line. And then there's also um, being a cynic or being... Um, Interpreting other people's information with caution and understanding where yeah, they're being aware, from. Sim simply being aware of what 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 you're being bombarded with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess yeah. taking agency in what's coming in. Right, just being an active citizen, coming up with you know opinions on your own, using right. data. Yeah, basically everyone has to become a, a scientist with their media consumption. I think. Right, right. Well, you know, you, as scientists, you, you want to be objective. You want to let 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 the facts, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm. But why is that just in the data? This could also be in the science or opinions about science that you're being bombarded with. Why should you switch your skepticism off? You, you should be skeptical about the results that you're looking at. If something in the lab looks like it's too good to be true, maybe you made a mistake in your measurements. Mm -hmm. You should be skeptical. Yeah. You should be able to, it should be repeatable in some way. Someone else should be able to, so one of the questions that is, is my work repeatable? Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of the, the same questions you have to ask in science as even like journalism or, you know, hearing stories about non-science. It's, it's kind of boiling down to the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Just what can I believe? Why did I get the result I got? Why did I get the story I got? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you should. I, I really think so. I mean, that's the whole idea of learning and being aware of, of, of what's going on, whether it's a natural phenomenon or something someone is saying. Mm -hmm. if, if either of you is communicating with me, why would I just accept everything that you say without analyzing it and digesting it any more than I would when I see something happening outside my office? Yeah. 
which is why you were saying that we need to, you know, activate system two, think slower, evaluate information. Yeah, every now and absolutely, <laughs> totally, totally. You know, we can't do it all the time because that would just we would just be worn out, and you can't do it on every front. Mm -hmm. But but on certain selective fronts, you can say, oh, that's an interesting story. Now let me let me just sit back again, sat back for a moment, and try to figure out what's behind this. Mm -hmm. And that, and that is effortful, it is. And that's why, that's why politicians get away with things so easily, because they keep bombarding you with slogans, they and they avoid questions, you know. Uh, um, imagine, as a, imagine as a scientist, imagine you were giving a presentation in a conference, and there was enough time for questions. And by the way, <laughs> not leaving enough time for questions, can think about the ethical issues there. You don't want any questions, so you hit the limit, mm -hmm. and then the uh, the person who is uh, chairing the session says, "Oh, we have no time for questions." It's, "Oh, thank God, we have no time for questions." <laughs> mm -hmm. But let's say you have time for questions, and you were asked a question, and you started evading. You went off in another direction completely. You'd be booed off the stage. They they would probably wouldn't want you back again. Mm -hmm. But politicians are doing this all the time. It's daily. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I heard a question answered in a. <laughs> you know, you you, you lose track after a few seconds. They spoke, Michael. What was the question? I know I, I, this must be the answer to another question. It's a, usually a canned set of slogans. Yeah, doesn't matter what the question. Then they just go dive straight into a canned set of slogans. Imagine you did that as a scientist. Um, I think the, bo the bottom line that I would like to get across is for, is for e everybody, uh, academics, scientists, engineers, to be aware of what's going on, not to accept things as being somehow, uh, you know, uh, unchangeable, um, just taken for granted. This is the way we find it and this is the way we should leave it. Be aware. I mean, you, you should know that you're being manipulated the whole time. I, I'm doing a, a manipulation job here. I have an agenda. My agenda is to rope in audience members for the 22nd of October. So that's my agenda. And uh, But you have to be aware of that constantly. And you, know, you have to be able to stand back. Mm -hmm. and, and some of the things that I have not mentioned, I, I will give examples of in my presentation, of, of being aware of what certain words mean. And, and and the subtext that those words convey. So this is this is going to be a great talk. I, and you said it's almost like a workshop type yeah, of thing? Yeah, the, way I, the way I usually do it, I have a whole bunch of slides, and I, I put the slides up, and then I, I use that as a, as, a, as a means of discussion. Mm -hmm. Any questions on this? And, you know, if, if I have a silent audience, uh, I'll go and ask them questions. Mm -hmm. Yes, bring all your questions to John. I'm not presenting, so I'm putting John up there to present and <laughs> yeah. to answer all your questions. Um, we hope that um, it'll generate discussion. And I mean, we don't know all the answers, and I'm, I'm going to vouch for John that he has not experienced everything, but he's such an, uh, he's more experienced than all of us, most grad students are. So it's a great way to bring your questions and actually ask John. Um, generate discussions, try to poke at his, at his slides. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it, for sure. Yeah, so this is going to be on Tuesday, October 22nd, from 4 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. in JHE264. Um, yeah, so it's free. Uh, do you have to sign up online? We would prefer it, because mm -hmm. we, we are providing some refreshments, and we would just like to know how many people are coming. 
Um, but of course, if you don't haven't registered and it's the day of and you that meeting got cancelled and you want to attend, by all means just come. Mm -hmm. We would love to have you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having us and I can't wait to see the, the whole thing. I can't wait to hear the, uh, the examples you couldn't share with us. Yeah, right. Well, I, 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 I have to keep something for Tuesday, right? <laughs> too, too juicy for radio. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Be censored. Yeah. You'll hit, you'll hit the censor button. <laughs> There's a, a big red button you push and it goes, yeah, I'll have to like cut John's mic. <laughs> okay, I've got to wrap this one up quick. Thanks again to Dr. Bandler and Rachel Ho for being on the show this week. Thanks to Booney again for letting me use their music. Check them out at booney.rocks. Uh, please check out the talk. It's going to be great. It's on uh, this coming Tuesday. I think it's October 22nd. Uh, if you're a Mac student, get following wise. And of course, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. And again, if you like what you hear, follow me on Twitter at Adam Forte, F-O-R-T-A-I-S, and subscribe to our podcast on all streaming services. I've recently changed the name to Scientific Canada, but it's the same Mac you've come to know and love. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.